Well, good morning, church. Welcome. Glad to be back here with you at our online service. Thank you for making some adjustments with us last week as we were kind of uh, um, pivoting with uh, Zach coming out with coronavirus. He's feeling great now, um, doing well. Melissa and I both tested negative, so we were in the clear. We actually never had it, so um, that was good. And so we're kind of back into our rhythms here. And as Melissa mentioned at the outset of the service, please do be praying for us. We are um, really praying toward and making some internal plans toward regathering our church with social distancing and with masks and trying to do that with wisdom um, and trying to figure out the best possible way for us to do that in the safest possible way, uh, working in conjunction with uh, the local authorities and the rules and um, with Miss Bonnie and uh, just having our church body in mind to want to make sure that uh, our health and wellness um, both physically and spiritually, is taking into consideration. So thank you for um, being grace-filled uh, with us as we navigate these unique times. Well, uh, let's grab our Bibles. If you have a Bible this morning as you're watching, I would encourage you to grab it, to open up to Romans chapter 8. If you have a phone, uh, turn to your favorite Bible app, turn to Romans chapter 8. We've been taking a deep dive and looking at one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, Romans chapter 8, referred to as the Great Eight. And so we're continuing in our word-for-word -word study of this wonderful chapter. Now, I'm actually, um, this week, kind of dreading teaching this one a little bit, um, because inevitably, uh, as I preach the Bible, and I have for many years, the Lord always somehow, in some way, um, teaches me very practically in my life, uh, really whatever I'm preaching that week. There seems to be some anecdotal thing that pops up in my life that I've got to apply the Word of God to, which is very great um, sometimes, which incidentally, uh, because that seems to always happen, is why I'm never going to be preaching through the book of Job at Providence North. So um, I would encourage you to read that on your own. Um, I do not want any anecdotal evidence uh, that Job had to walk through in my own life. So uh, it's a great book. Read it on your own. We probably won't be going over it too much in depth here because I just don't. Uh, go listen to Piper or Keller. They do a fantastic job. Um but why do I bring that up? Why am I dreading this week? Well, let me give you a little window into last week. Last week I preached on, or no, I'm sorry, two weeks ago, we heard Justin last week, who did a great job. Two weeks ago, we talked about Romans 8.28, which is this, just this wonderful idea, this wonderful truth, this wonderful reality that God, in his sovereignty, in the economy of God, works all things out for good. He doesn't say all things are good, but he says no matter what we're going through, that God works all things out for good. And so I got to preach through that wonderful idea, and it's just this glorious reality that we can, when trouble comes, when hardship comes, when you get that phone call that you just don't want to get, that you never thought you were going to get, that comes one day, that we can trust God because all things uh, work out for good uh, for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, and literally the day after I preached that, um, I got one of those phone calls. And uh, the phone call was something like this. Um, hey, your dad's having a massive heart attack and you need to come be with him right now. And so 
it was just one of those like kind of blood drain from your face. Uh, I'm calling my brother, we're calling family, I'm rushing to go see him to make matters even more complicated. He had to get, we had to get my dad into an urgent care um, where we we found we find out later that he has a 100% blockage in his main artery, so there's no blood flowing, but he's laying in an urgent care bed, he's having massive pain, um, and because of COVID, all the ICU beds are full. They don't know where to get him. So he's laying in this bed for hours. He's in need of a heart surgery. Uh, but as each hour passes, uh, the worse that becomes for him and his heart. And uh, so I'm getting to sit by him in his bedside. He's um, in pain. I get to pray over my father. Um, and so the whole time all of this is happening, uh, I'm, getting to, I'm getting to live these verses that... Lord, this is, this is not good right now, but I know and it helped me cling and cling to the truth of the fact that God and his sovereign purposes and his providence works all things for good, even when I can't see it. And so I can even trust and cling to and draw near to a good God in the midst of things that are seemingly not good right in front of me. By God's grace, the Lord... Um, by God's grace, my dad survived the heart attack. They found him a bed hours later at Methodist Hospital. We actually had people in our church. Ashley, uh, our friend, was there uh, to, got to got to go see my dad. She works in the cardiovascular ICU wing. Um, and so that was just the Lord's grace because we couldn't be with him personally. But it was just, I don't know, the Lord was just seeing the Lord's hand in all of this. Um, helped me stay calm and helped me stay trusting in God's sovereign plan even when that hard call came. It did not make that call good to get, but it helped me cling to the goodness of God even in the midst of it. So that's maybe why I'm a little bit hesitant to preach this verse as we continue on because um, I hope I don't have another week like last week. And then to top it off, literally, I hadn't seen my dad. He was isolated in the ICU. I'm walking in to go see him after he gets released. He got a stint put in. They opened his heart back up. Um, I get a text message on my phone as I'm going to see him and give him a hug. And Zach texts me, says, I'm COVID positive. And I literally have to turn around and walk right out of his house uh, before I can get close to him. So it was one of those weeks. I was like, Lord, thank you for this great example of you teaching me all about how you work all things out. And he is, and I trust him. Um, but Lord, um, go easy on me this week. Go easy on my family this week. So if we preach this again, one of the elders is going to do it. But it's all good stuff. So here we go. Um, we looked at last week and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, even heart attacks, even COVID, um, even all of those crazy things, even all the things you're walking through in your life right now with job change, with job uncertainty, with um, family health things, we, God can be trusted, church. Cling to him and rest in him. These verses were a comfort to me and I hope that they're a comfort to you. And so we're gonna jump in and Paul is going to explain to us kind of this very last thing where he says, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what is his purpose? So if God's working all things together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, what is God's purpose for you? 
This was the theme of a very best-selling book that many of us read in the early 90s from a very famous pastor that did a great job. What is God's purpose for you? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us right here in Romans 8. Right? We're hit with this amazing purpose. And here it is, God's purpose. Here is what God had planned for you, has planned for you that are called according to his purpose. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All right, let's start back at the top and then we're just gonna work our way through these couple of verses. Um, let's start with this. For those whom he foreknew. All right, foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God. This is a massive theological statement. It is a massive uh, idea and it's found all over our Bible. Now, Christians, as I've uh, been a pastor for many, many years, I think rolling up on 20 years now, um, I can't tell you how many times we as believers try to skirt or get around the sovereignty of God. For some reason, we just don't like it, many of us. We're uncomfortable with it. It sort of rails against our democratic processes that we are so used to here in the States. Um, having a sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing, his plan and purpose and decree and providence will happen in the mind of God the way he wants it. It's hard for us to say that we can't... Um, we can't put our hand on the rudder and decide when and how that goes. And so we're always trying to skirt it by giving foreknowledge, that word, a different meaning or a different definition. Um, now the word foreknowledge, let's start this, does not mean a few things. And it does not mean this. This is what a lot of times we sort of want to impart into this what we think it means. Foreknowledge does not mean that God simply knows all things that will occur. It doesn't mean that God looks into the future and simply just knows what will transpire. He does know that, but that's a different word. That word is called omniscience. That's God's omniscience, that he knows all things that can, all things that could, and all things that would occur. He's omniscient. He knows all things, but that's not what foreknowledge means. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Um, um, foreknowledge is, as the Bible describes it, is the favor of God, um, really the heart of God bestowed upon, among a people whom have no right to know that grace and mercy. Um, and this language of foreknowledge, of God knowing a people like that, of having this, this, this um, love of God poured out on a people, his grace and mercy, who these people are though undeserving, they didn't earn it, yet in the mind of God, he decides to love them in such a unique way is what foreknowledge really means. And this language is used of the people of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. Look at Amos Chapter three, verse two, uh, says this. You only I have known, talking about Israel, of all the families of the earth. 
You only I have known of all the families of the earth. Now, does that mean that God does not know all the other families on the earth? No, it doesn't. It just means that in his foreknowledge, he knows Israel. His favor and grace and mercy rest on these people because of his choosing. And he's God and he gets to decide. Um, now, is God obligated to show his mercy in this way to anyone? Is anyone deserving of this type of knowledge of being known by God? Any of us? No, not one. It tells us that in our New Testament. Um, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one is deserving of this type of uh, being known by God. But yet still he does it out of his goodness and out of his mercy. In the mind of God, he decides and decrees to foreknow people. Uh, the Bible says the same idea of Christ. It says that Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Now, does that mean that God sort of looked into the future and could see that one day there would be this Messiah that would come and he would be born at a certain time? No, it means that in the mind of God, in the very plan of God, in the foreknowledge of God, he purposed for Jesus, the Messiah, to come. And exactly the way he came and how he came and the outcomes of everything were in the plan and mind of God. The Bible says that Jesus was delivered up by the foreknowledge and the predetermined plan of God. So even Jesus, he was foreknown in the mind of God and how he was born. And in the plan and purpose and foreknowledge of God, Jesus was predestined to even go to the cross. He was delivered up to the people to be put on the cross in the plan and mind of God. Now, does that simply mean that God knew he would, uh, it would come about this way and he sort of could see out into the future and how everyone would sort of decide it and then he sort of uh, rubber stamped it and said, yep, I knew it. No, it said before um, the foundation of the world, it was predetermined that Jesus, the Messiah, would be delivered up in such a way as we find revealed to us in the Holy Word of God. Um, God puts it into motion. So in the Bible, God does not simply just know who will choose him one day, and thus he predestines them. That's just like rubber stamping uh, things, and that's, that, that's not how the God of the Bible is depicted. It's like, it would be like saying, gosh, you know what, I'm awesome at darts. You wanna know how I'm awesome? Well, I just throw a dart into the wall and then I go up and I paint a circle around it and said, look, I hit the bullseye and I hit it every time. That's not how God works in the Bible. It's not that you just throw a dart into the wall and then God just goes and said, yep, that's what was supposed to happen and paints a circle. The way it's depicted in the Bible through foreknowledge in the predetermined plan of God is that God enacts his plan in his way and his economy and it comes to pass exactly as he would have it. Um, before the foundation of the world, every joy, every hardship, 
uh, every glorious moment and every difficult moment is known by God that you're walking through. That's how we know we can trust him. It's not random. Uh, it's not accidental. God is in control. And so Paul's saying he, that's how he can work all things out for good because he's doing something, because he's moving. And so for us, that, for the Christian, that is a warm blanket at night, right? Or that's a cool, ice-cold cup of water on a hot summer day, right? It's, it's good to us. Um, John Calvin, when sort of confronted with this idea that just kind of paints this idea that God sort of paints the bullseye around people's decisions, uh, and he's just sort of catching up as things happen. Calvin says this. Calvin says, how can God know what man cannot choose? And he's talking, of course, in relation to salvation, meaning man being left to our own devices, we will never choose the way of God. We can't. Um, man left to ourselves have a fallen will, and we cannot even figure out who God is or what he's like, much less how to follow him and how to choose to love him. Man, as the Bible paints, is completely at the mercy of God's revelation to us, namely the word of God. We are completely at the mercy of the atonement of Jesus Christ for our sins, that which God did. We are completely at the mercy of God bringing him to him, bringing us to himself and saving us and giving us this new purpose that he talks to us about. So church, when the Bible says, and we know that for those who love God, verse 28, that's the Christian. We love God. Uh, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Here's God's purpose. Ready? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew. That's you. That's me. By grace and mercy alone. So before you were ever you, the Bible tells us, God knew you. God had something purposed for you. God had a plan for you. God knew the outcome of what you would be doing and how your life would go and uh, your days that are numbered. He knew all of it. God knew you. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter one, verses three and four, before there was even a foundation of the earth. Before there was even ground that humans walked on, God knew you before you ever showed up, before this earth was ever made. That's a profound thought. Um, he predestined you, it says. He has granted you grace in Christ from eternity past. 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Bible tells us. Isn't that beautiful? He granted you from eternity past, like, forever ago, right? Before there was even ground to walk on, grace. That's our God. That's the mercy and grace of Jesus. Um, Jesus even said in the gospels, he says, you did not choose me, I chose you. 
Jesus says, as the Father has given to me, they will come to me. All that the Father has given to me, Jesus says, I will make sure that they come to me. God does it. Peter said that the promise is for you and your children and those who are far off, as many as God shall call to himself. All of this language is God-centric, not man-centered. As many as God shall call to himself. That is the election of God that the Bible talks about. That is your salvation and my salvation. That's why the Apostle Paul can say, it is by grace alone, through faith alone. Nothing that you've done. You didn't raise a hand. You didn't figure it out. You didn't find God. No one finds God. No one seeks God. Only the Son of God seeks and saves that which is lost. And that's why we rejoiced as a lost one has now been found. That's the good news of the gospel. And Paul's saying, this is our purpose. And for those who are called according to this purpose, God can take everything in your life. And God has purposed everything in your life and can work it out for good. So God knew you uh, before Genesis chapter one, church. God knew you um, before the very beginning. It means Your face was before him. It means his plan is unfolding exactly as he planned it. We can trust him. This is the God in whom we trust. This is the God that did not have to do anything, but chose to pour out grace and mercy on so, so many. All the way from eternity past, he knew. This should be mind-blowing. Uh, And this is really basic Christian theology. This is is stuff of Augustine and Calvin. This is stuff that, uh, I mean, Augustine was way before Calvin. This is basic Christian theology that has rooted and grounded the church from the very beginning. This is the theology of the Apostle Paul. Um. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's that word predestined. The word predestined, it means this. Um, It means that your destination, like where you're headed, was marked out before you ever existed. Your path, your way, it's like, you know, when we pull up Google Maps, we're trying to figure out where to go and you hit route, It shows you the blue line. Uh, Your destination, God decided. He decided where that blue line would fall. Um, And we don't get to choose to veer off it and just God's not redirecting, redirecting. He just, you're on it because God decided it. Um, And so every twist and turn in your story, um, God's not surprised. That means that your salvation was not some democratic process that went like this. Our salvation, us coming to God, didn't happen like this. Uh, Satan voted against you. Um, God voted for you, and you voted with God. And now we outvoted Satan, so now you're in. 
That's not how the Bible depicts how we come to God at all. It is not a democratic process like that. In fact, um, it really kind of, if, if we're going to use the same silly analogy, it kind of goes like this. It, it would go like Satan voted against you. Um, you voted, you and I voted against God. We wanted nothing to do with him. But yet still, in the face of that reality, God in his grace and mercy still chose you and bent our will that were against him, softened our hard hearts, and by grace and mercy, we've been saved. And now he calls us children of God. So before Genesis 1, God had you in his sights for Revelation 21 and 22, which is the very end of the story. Uh, he knew he was going to put you in the Father's family. He knew he was going to place you in the Beloved. He knew he was going to give you brothers and sisters in Christ through grace. He knew he was going to put you in the very presence of God. He knew he was going to grant to you the Holy Spirit of God to guide you, to lead you, to direct you, and to show you. And it's all mercy. Because in reality, we didn't even like the news that we needed him. We were against it. Uh, we certainly didn't like the process of being brought near to him. Um, it, I've heard it said like this. It's, it's like when a baby is brought into this world and, and takes the first breath of life and oxygen, their first response is to cry. That's us in salvation. When we're finally breathe the life that God wants many of us we're crying. We Sometimes we war against it. But God, through Romans 8, tells us that he determines where we end up. Um, he predestines us, predestinated us, determines our destination to be what? Conformed, as the verse goes on, to the image of his son, meaning... Uh, that you and I, because of God, because of Christ, would take on the righteousness of Christ because of the cross. We would take on the, the, the nature of Christ because of the cross and faith. And someday, he will take our broken, sinful bodies, our, the flesh that we're wrapped up in, and he would bring us up into glory with him forever and ever. So God decides before the foundation of the world that we would be with Christ, that we would be like Christ and it would all be for the glory of Christ forever and ever and ever. Uh, that's how Paul describes um, God's purpose for you and I. Um, that's how God loved us. God redefines our future from eternity past. That's amazing. Uh, and this is his destination, um, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That at the cross, Jesus made a way for us to be in this reality. Verse 30 uh, tells us this, will God lose any one of us? Will God not be able to keep up with any one of us? He tells us this, in uh, those whom he called, he justified. In those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this is kind of this plural pronoun, and it's inclusive of all of God's chosen elect. 
So it means this, how many that he predestines does he call? All. Um, Does he lose one of us? No, he doesn't. His word is final. It comes to pass. He can be trusted in all that he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, meaning that all that he called will be saved, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, this is interesting, and we're almost done here. That word glorified is written in the past tense, even though he's talking about our future reality of being with him in glory in heaven. Why did he write? Why did Paul write that we would be glorified? in the past tense, even though it's something that's coming one day in the future. Because Paul's reiterating the fact here, even in the grammatical structure of the word of God, that it's as good as done. That Jesus did it. That this was decided long ago in the past where your future will be. We are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. The body of Christ, us, The bride of Christ will be with the head. The body will be with the head. The bride will be with the groom forever and ever. We're meant to be joined together and Jesus will see it come to pass. Now, why is this verse here as we close? These verses are here because they are a character reference for God. They are a character reference for verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Paul is teaching us, Christian, that in the midst of suffering and in hardship, in the midst of when you get a phone call that your dad is having a heart attack, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of um, all the things we're in the midst of, in the midst of joy, in the midst of rejoicing, in the midst of the birth of our children, in the midst of Everything in between suffering and tremendous joy, God is at work. He chose you. He knows you from eternity past. He's set the course for you. You you live where you live. You exist where you exist. You work where you work. You do what you do on purpose because it was planned in the mind of God before you even set foot on the soil of this earth. And there has never been a time when God was not thinking about you. That's incredible. So this is a character reference, meaning Paul saying, you can trust him. Your life isn't random. And how do you know you can trust him? Look at the nail prints in Jesus' hands. That was for you from eternity past. If that doesn't melt your heart, I don't know what will. This text makes us rest in the arms of God when we cannot understand what's happening around us. That is the providence and the um, goodness and the foreknowledge of God when we let that rest on us, when we rest in that It's the content of our faith. And that an infinite personal God chose you, saved you, will raise you up one day, and he keeps you forever. And that glorious truth 
is the content of our faith. And Paul's saying, that's how you know you can trust him. That's how you know he's gonna work all things out for good for those who are called according to his purpose because his purpose was planned out for you from the very beginning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that because of it, we are now called sons and daughters. We thank you that from eternity past, Lord, somehow, some way, in your goodness, in your plan, you knew us, you saw our face, and that you have a great plan for us. And so God, help us now as your children here in this world to trust you, to lean into you, to rest in you and your goodness and your sovereignty and your foreknowledge, and let them be... Um, a breath of fresh air to us in this scattered, anxious world we live in. May we be a calming, trusting presence because we know there is a God who loves us and who has saved us and who has granted to us mercy and grace even when we were undeserving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship, church.